right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. On KLWN. And uh, on today's show. We're going to be joined by David Lesky at 340, or at least Nick is, uh, a little peek behind the curtain. I have some uh, softball I have to be broadcasting today, so a lot of this show is uh, previously in the can. Hopefully nothing breaking news happens, uh, but Nick <laughs> will be joined by David Lesky at 340. Outside of that, we do have two trivia matchups today. Both of them are second round matchups, and then we'll be in the Sizzling 16, and the rest of the week we'll have Sizzling 16 matchups for our CST trivia, so uh, that'll certainly be fun. We have Case of the Mondays coming at you. We're going to go deeper into the both Mackenzie and Baco and Ernest Uday stuff because we didn't really have a chance. I mean, we had a little bit of a chance to talk Ernest last week. We had no chance basically to talk in Baco after the decision was made at 5 o'clock on Friday. So let's start right there. Mackenzie and Baco picks Indiana. I think this is genuinely one of those recruiting battles that had a bit of a shocking outcome from a KU perspective. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think... Pretty much all signs pointed to KU feeling really good about what they where they were at. Everything was looking pretty good. Everyone's feeling good. Yeah, okay, everything's fine. And then wham, nope. So you know, and we you know you mentioned it on Friday. That's just weird things happen in recruiting, man. I mean, yep. you just you just never know. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough blow for KU certainly because we talked about it. It felt like with the addition of Mackenzie and Baco, KU would really solidify themselves as a top two top three team in the country and maybe a national title favorite at that point. Now all of a sudden you don't really feel that way anymore. But the reality situation is like we also discussed, you got Hunter Dickinson. So everything else is like everything else on top of that is just icing on the cake, right? So it's a tough blow for Kansas, but they're gonna be fine. They're still gonna be a top five team more than likely. And they have a great opportunity now with other open spots to potentially get out go after some guys that might be coming back from the NBA draft. I, I continue to believe that there's going to be a non-small number of guys that are going to withdraw from the draft and be eligible to transfer. And I suspect now that KU is going to be interested in a lot of those guys. And that also includes Kevin McCuller, who could still come back. So I think really the shock value of it kind of wore off for me over the weekend. Like initially it was like, oh man, crap, like this really sucks. But the after that kind of initial wear off of just the general shock of, okay, this was a guy that we felt pretty good was going to come to KU and now he's not. I think KU is still going to be fine, and I think they're still going to end up being a top five team. Uh, and you know, it's uh, listen. Th- these are these are guys that these are kids that want to go make the best decision for themselves. And Mbako felt that Indiana was the case, and I hope it is for him and for KU. Mm. On the next one, looking back on our conversation we had Friday about Mark Cuban, yes, Mark Cuban, <laughs> very interesting. By the way. <laughs> I don't know if this the timing of this was very interesting. I saw a story. Uh, I didn't. I actually didn't end up reading the story, but the headline uh, was that Mark Cuban, one of his companies, signed an NIL deal with Indiana, like uh, right of after, course. like right after, there we go. right after the Embarco news. So the Mark Cuban stuff, 
Listen, it could have been. Could have been. 100%. Money, money talks. Um, I think uh, it's also interesting looking that Mackenzie and Baca was represented by the same agency that Mike Woodson is. Yes. Yes. I, I do well, think that. I, was, is it him specifically? Or I thought it was like I don't know, one somebody, of his, in, somebody his, in like his crew. Sure, yeah. The, somebody CAA. in like his whatever. Looking back, that should have been maybe more of a, I don't know, telltale sign. I, I think that's something that, I don't know. It, it happens a lot in the NBA with like clutch sports especially. I don't think people realize how big agencies have an impact on a lot of things that happen from a personnel standpoint in the professional leagues, whether it's players signing or um, trades that even happen. Like, they, they have a very big... So, I don't know. That, that wouldn't shock me if that had something to do with it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it certainly was... I, I think the most shocking part about it is the confidence how KU that, felt about yeah, it. The yeah. confidence that KU had. I think there's some similarities there with, with Mbako and Ernest in that I think maybe up until the day that it happened, KU felt like, okay, they're fine there. And then all of a sudden something changed or something happened that they weren't privy to, and boom, there you go. Um, but as you said, it doesn't change the fact KU is still a top-tier national title contender. I think everywhere you look, pretty much every poll I've, I've seen, like the way too early is all that sort of stuff, they're anywhere between number one and like number four right now, which... Uh, you know, it's not as, as you said, if you get Mbako, you're probably pretty clearly number one with a bullet. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a difference there. But at the end of the day, if you're the number three team in the country, if you're the number one team in the country, like you should still be in that range of being a national title contender, which is obviously positive for KU. Um, but it leaves you with some questions now. It leaves you not not like questions about can this team be any good? No, like we, we expect <laughs> this team to be very good. Just questions about how are you going to build out the roster? Questions about how are yeah. you going to fill this out? Yeah. Um, it does answer some questions or maybe gets rid of some questions like the, would it be KJ Adams or McKenzie and Baco starting? Who was, was Baco going to start at the three or the four? Like what was going to happen there? Gets rid of some of those questions, I guess, unless you bring on a different wing, which very, very possible. Um, here's a question I have. Is there any chance... That Marcus Adams can be just as good as McKenzie and Baco? I would say probably not. I mean, okay. I was actually thinking about this. So with McKenzie and Baco, I think we're both in agreement that the ceiling the ceiling there in terms of like what he potentially could be would be significantly higher. But maybe it's possible that a guy in the transfer portal or a guy coming back from the NBA draft who might have a lower ceiling – then Mackenzie and Baco could have a higher floor, right? I mean, well, I we had the discussion that, about just Marcus Adams specifically. I don't think so. No, because I there's a part of me that and maybe this is just you know a kid doesn't commit. And I mean, listen, start I, talking don't, to I don't honestly know that much enough about Mbako or but, Adams. Like I haven't been really watching them. I don't. I don't really. So spend Ad, my time Adams doing just that. had like 44 points. He was the MVP of some like All Star game in California. Okay. Um, Nobody was really playing defense, but he was shooting like 30-foot threes. The stroke looked really good. He was like dunking on guys. You could see the athleticism and shooting build up. And the reason he is ranked lower is, is because he hasn't done it against high-level competition. You know, he's he's an A-plus against the competition. If you just evaluated how good he is versus competition, he probably would be like a top-10 recruit. But you don't know how good that competition is because he's playing a bunch against, you know, six-foot-two guys and stuff. So, like, you don't know what that is. Maybe he is the diamond in the rough type of guy. Like, what if Mackenzie Mbako comes in and he's one of those freshmen who, like, he struggles. He's not very efficient. Oh, he absolutely. Averages yeah. nine points, right? Oh, yeah. That's, that goes back to the, the, the ceiling question. Yeah. Of, like, it, you know, it, maybe his ceiling might be higher, but you might have a chance for a higher floor with somebody else. Yeah. And Marcus Adams is this Shea Gilgis Alexander, who I remember when he came to Kentucky, he was, like, the 40th-ranked recruit or something, 30th maybe, and he was, like, this this late-blooming prospect 
and then all of a sudden took off and he's like a, a top 10 pick in the NBA draft. Now he's like an NBA all-star. I'm not expecting that or saying <laughs> that's going to happen. That is such a high bar to set. In the percentage of outcomes, could Marcus Adams be better than McKenzie and Baco? Probably not. I don't think it's high, but I, I don't know, maybe a 10% tag on it. Like, yeah, it's not I impossible. Guess. It's not impossible. And obviously, from Marcus Adams, from Marcus Adams' standpoint specifically, Mbako picking in and is great because now he's going to be in the rotation yeah. more than likely. Well, to your point though on the the transfer stuff, which is where you were kind of going for a second there. Yeah. Um, back to that, you were basically getting to the idea that yeah, if you bring in like let's let's throw out a name here, Arthur Kaluma or Julian Phillips from Tennessee. Now I don't know, maybe not as much with with Phillips because you could argue that the ceiling is just as high. Um, but with Kaluma specifically, you're talking about a two year guy at Creighton. He entered the transfer portal, has good production, almost beat KU in the second round in, in 2022 when he had 24 points and 12 rebounds. Um, but he's been kind of an inconsistent shooter. But he's, but he's an someone, experienced college Exactly. Player. Where you feel like the floor would be higher on Kaluma than Mbako, but the ceiling would be higher on Mbako than Kaluma. Yes, 100%. Because, I mean, listen, like we talked about this with, with Bill Self System. Like, it's not always conducive to every top tier player, right? I mean, MJ Rice comes in and and it just it just didn't click for him, right? And I mean, I'm not saying that would have happened with Mbako or that it, but it could have, right? I mean, that's just kind of how things go, right? And whereas if you if you have a more experienced veteran college player coming in from the transfer portal or from coming back from the NBA draft, there's a strong possibility that they'll be better molded to fit the system a little bit better of what might Bill Self might be asking them to do. Now, but again, that doesn't mean that they might not necessarily have as much of a potential as Mbako did, but you might still, there might not be as many early season, like maybe growing pains or struggles or anything like that. I will say in, in case of like, okay, so Kaluma and Phillips are, are the two big wings that entered the portal on the final day that the portal you were allowed to, and they're both testing the draft process and both guys um, might just stay in the draft, like especially for Phillips. He, I don't know, he has a better chance of being drafted high than Kaluma does. Um, but in both their cases, it's interesting because both of those guys are not finished products either. Like I, I do agree with you that the floor's higher, but I, I don't think the ceiling is is maybe as far as you, you'd think because in the case of Kaluma, like I was, I was reading his uh, profile on the Athletic because they have like their their running transfer rankings, and it mentions how because of his size, versatility, quickness, speed, stuff like that. He's a potential future first round pick if he's a, you know, first team all conference player wherever he transfers to. So like the ceiling is there. Julian Phillips is a former five-star recruit, right? Who just spent one year at Tennessee that like, yeah, maybe it's not the ceiling of what Mbako is because Mbako's ceiling is a top 10 pick in the NBA draft, right? But I don't think it's like super far off that if you do have a higher floor, there is an outcome here, I guess is is where I'm going with this. Where if, if KU is able to land in Arthur Kaluma, that or even get Kevin back, yes, exactly. That the you're actually in a better spot than you would have been without Mackenzie Mbako. Doesn't guarantee it because yeah. if Mbako comes into Indiana and he averages 14 points, seven rebounds on you know 38 percent shooting from three, you're going to be like, well, that would have been nice, right? <laughs> but there is a a real world where that is a real possibility where KU is actually better off because they get a a more suitable player. But the unfortunate part is that every player that you look at right now who is kind of available at those wing positions, there's inconsistencies from three. And I think that's what you would have been most happy about with getting Mbako, is having a guy who could play the three or the four for you that's supposed to be a good shooter. Now, we mentioned the Nike UYBL numbers, 26%, but would it translate better to college? We don't yeah. know. And if it does translate better to college, 
You look at Kaluma, 31% from three. You look at Julian Phillips, 24% from three. You look at Kevin McCuller, 29% from three. Like You go up and down the list of the available guys right now, there's not really those three-point shooters out there. That could be the one thing that I think you'd be missing out on. Well, and that just circles back to this kind of running question that I've brought up a couple times is, is Nick Timberlake enough? Is Nick Timberlake plus like 1.5 threes per game from Dewan and and Dickinson, is that enough? Is that enough? I think it's a, I think it's a legit question right now. I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, it could be, but it's it's tough, right? Like that goes back to Mbako. If you get Mbako, you're probably like, yeah, sure, fine, mm-hmm. great, everything's fine. But if you but let's say you do get Kluma back, or you, or you do get Kluma, or you do get McCuller back, like, is that enough shooting? I mean, Timberlake would have to be, you know, forty plus percent well, okay. on pretty high volume. This actually brings up an interesting conversation with Timberlake. Because now that now that you didn't land Mackenzie Mbako, because we, we viewed Mbako as being somebody who not only could play the four, but he'd give you a lot of minutes at the three, right? So now when you look at it, who are who are KU's options to even play the three? You're either playing Mbako or Arterio Morris with like a three-guard lineup like when we saw Dewan, Bobby, and Joe, or it's just Timberlake. Yeah. And knowing what you're talking about here with the do they have enough three-point shooting and how many is Timberlake going to get off, we've kind of talked about like, you know, oh, maybe Nick Timberlake, the defense isn't great, and he only plays 15 minutes per game. I think right now, based on this roster construction— He might need to play more. He might be playing 25 to 30. Yes. Just because— 32? I don't just, know. Just because of his offense. Yes, and because you don't have those other logical three men. Yes. Now, you do have yeah. three scholarships open, though, so the chances are you're going to bring exactly. somebody like in if who does get, play there. Yeah, exactly. Like, if McCullough comes back, obviously, at that point, he's your three. Or even if you get, like, a guy like Kloom or something like that. But again— is a lineup of Dickinson, KJ, Kevin McCuller, El Marco, and Dewan with Nick Timberlake coming off the mm. bench? Is that enough? Is that enough shooting? I almost wonder if that's what happens. Like, okay, let let's go with Kevin McCuller there. Um, if that's what happens, because you're starting do you just lineup, start Nick Timberlake at the two. I, I don't know. You might have to. Right. You might have to. I mean, I, I don't exactly. know if you have enough shooting. I mean, unless, uh, if for all we know, Arteria Morris had a a small sample size, got really good from three over the last two months, was shooting you know almost 50%, but also it was very limited. What if he comes in and if, if you told me Arterio Morris is a 35% three-point shooter on you three attempts per game this year, that that's going to be good enough, yes, right? Yes, you would take that easily. Um, but that's kind of what you're counting on. Like, Marco Jackson, obviously an unknown. Uh, but again, I mean, going back to Marcus Adams, if Marcus Adams ends up being your second or third best three-point shooter and he's at a position of need right now, and it's like, well, even if KJ's your starting four, who's getting the backup four minutes? Again, you're probably going to add somebody. Um, but there is a role for Marcus Adams there. So I, I think this is this is very interesting in how KU goes about the roster construction from here with those three open scholarships. Um, and I think that it's, it's interesting when you look at the path of the wing position. I mean, you went from KU having arguably the best wing position in the country the past two years. You go from having Ochai, Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson. Then you go this past year, Jalen Wilson, Kevin McCuller, um, Grady Dick. You have, you know, whatever, MJ Rice coming off the bench, right? Uh, <laughs> most most teams don't have a five-star not playing coming off the bench. So, like, yeah. your, your wing position was loaded last year. Then you go into this year, and it's like, oh, we lose all those guys. And haven't added a We've wing. We've added I guess Marcus basically Adams. nobody. I guess Jamari McDowell, technically a wing. Um I guess KJ is now technically a wing. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, so you really haven't had anybody. And think about the the recruiting process all the way through here. You're talking. Um, let's see, Harrison Ingram, which was, and in all these cases, you can you can easily explain stuff away. But with Harrison Ingram, it was like, okay, maybe you slow played him, or maybe it was you were like, yeah, hey, we don't need Ingram. We're gonna get X player, so it's fine. 
Yes. No, you didn't get Ingram. Okay, Jalen Tyson. He'll be a great fit. And then it's like, well, whether it's, I don't know, maybe Tyson just wanted Cal more. Maybe he wanted the role more. Maybe he liked the relationships. Maybe KU cooled on Tyson and was like, ah, it's fine. We'll get Mbako. You know? And then Mbako, it's like, ah, we're good. They didn't get him. So you go up and down the list, and it's like, man, they, at, this offseason is a success. I, I don't want to change that yeah, up. Yeah, because of Hunter Dickinson, the Dickinson right? stuff, yeah. And, and Timberlake was a really great add to and stuff. Like, you, you've added enough in, in the portal. This is a successful offseason. I don't want to take away from that. But you certainly have had some swings and misses at the wing position, and that's going to happen. Uh, recruiting is a battle. You're not going to win every battle, right? If you think about it, um, if you bring in a four-man freshman recruiting class, it, it's almost like baseball. Like, you probably recruited, what, 20, 30 different freshmen that you, you were, like, in on. I mean, the, the hit rate there, you're going to miss more than you're going to make. And I think that's what we're kind of seeing here. It's just unfortunate right now because there's not there's not a ton of great options yeah. that are left here. Yeah, I mean, Harrison Ingram would fit perfectly in. Gosh, yeah, right what, now. Right now. Yeah, exactly. With how, with how things kind of played out. And, and again, that, that one, you know, maybe it is one where KU kind of slow played it a little too slow <laughs> or took too long, you know. But obviously there was a lot more uncertainty at that for them at that time. You know, so uh, it's it's it is interesting, and and you're right. We've talked about it. The offseason's a success with Hunter Dickinson, but right now there are some some questions. But KU can still get the answers to those questions. They have three open scholarships, like we like you mentioned. So it's it's not like KU is just stuck with what they've got. They can still go out and potentially add one, two, or three other players, and still fill out their roster. And as and as of right now, their roster is still probably top five. Yeah. So, yeah, and we'll, we'll see what happens here with the portal, but I, I know there are some people asking the questions right now. Did KU play too much of the portal game? Did, did, did they play with fire here, right? Did they they mess around with it? And I, I, to be clear, I don't think they did. I think a lot of people were like, oh, okay, well, cool, I mean, this, they cleaned I mean, out the bench. I think the the they Ernest did. and Zuby things weren't them trying to get rid of like, it. was, you know, the, those guys wanted no, to leave I, after Dickinson. I think if you in. gave Bill Self true serum right now and asked him, is this what you wanted? He would have said yes. He would say yes. Like this was this was the game plan all along, based on what he said in his press conference. Like, if you have the, the season, two options, this or just bringing everybody back who was going to come back, like yes. not Jalen and Kevin stuff. He would, he would say this. He would say this. He would say this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think. So I, agree I think. With that. I think from Bill Self's perspective, from the staff's perspective, they went out and did pretty much exactly what they wanted to do. Was there un- was was there some unexpected casualties with like Ernest Uday and Zabiaja for sure? Was there some maybe disappointing misses? Sure. Harrison Ingram, I guess, and Mackenzie Mbako too now. But overall, I think this is pretty much exactly how they planned this offseason to go, basically. In yeah. terms of in terms of like the movement of, you know, what guys coming in, guys coming out. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. More KU Talk next. David Lesky at three forty. Case of the Mondays, RCST trivia in the four o'clock hour. We'll be back after this on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN and Lawrence, FM 1017 and 1320. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson is out doing uh, some Baker some Baker broadcasting, but the show goes on without Derek. And on a Monday, as always, we are joined by phone by David Lesky of Inside the Crown. David, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? I am doing pretty well. The Royals maybe are not doing so well after the weekend sweep uh, with the Brewers but uh, I don't know. What do, you, what do you take away from from this past weekend for for Kansas City? What's your biggest takeaway? You know, I, I, the interesting thing that I in, in in watching the games, 
I didn't get the sense that the Brewers were like that much better than the Royals. I got the sense that the Royals beat themselves. And that's both encouraging and discouraging, I think, because um, you can look at it as the way of, hey, you mental mistakes, these little errors that, that lose games, those are fixable. Um, you know, on the flip side, those are the things bad teams do. So it, it, it's kind of, I, I don't know exactly where I land, um, but I really didn't, I, I, there wasn't a point when I felt like, hey, the Brewers are overmatching the Royals. It just felt like the Royals overmatched themselves. Going into that Brewer series, did you feel any better about it after what they did against the White Sox earlier in the week? And then after the Brewer series, did, did that change anything for you? I mean, honestly, not really. I think that, look, this team this team has some strengths, not a lot, and they have some weaknesses, too many. Um, but the problem, this team, I think, I think we look at it in the offense. I think generally we probably should and do feel like it's fine. Um, it's been pretty good now for 22 games Been really good in may I mean, best offense in baseball by run score in way the runs created plus in may still after the weekend um and and the the problem the real problem is the starting pitching and that that hasn't that's not that's something that we expected in march that's something we noticed in april that's something we're seeing in may i i, I feel pretty similar i think that the bats are generally fine um, the the defense has actually improved quite a bit. When when with Michael Garcia, uh, Bobby Witt Jr., and Michael Massey, and then Nick Prado on the infield, looks really good. Uh, center field, I think, is in good hands. I know that Jackie Bradley Jr. is on a long term asset, but he's played really well out there. Kyle Isbell played well out there. I feel like they've they've got some things going defensively. It's just the starting rotation that's the problem, and they're they're not going to win a lot of games because you have to have some semblance of competence in the starting rotation to win games, and they just don't. Something that we've talked about previously is that the Royals are actually 6-4 and four against teams under 500. Do, do you feel like <laughs> you're starting to get some, some validation from that, from the way they're playing against teams that are maybe, I guess, more on their level, so to speak? Yeah, I think in some ways, you know, it's hard. It was easy to look at that after the A's series and go, okay, well, that clearly wasn't it. But, <laughs> I mean, they've won two series. they played three series against sub-500 teams. Uh, they've won two of them. That's that's what you want. Um, it, they have an interesting test this week because the Padres are under 500, but I don't think anybody sees them as a sub 500 team. So it's a little bit of a weird situation there where they, they the numbers may change a little bit because the Padres I think are actually good and just playing poorly. So that's um, that'll be interesting to see how that that plays out. But I think that there is some validation that hey, this team is probably on. I mean, they can handle teams that aren't playoff bound, and the rest they've struggled with quite a bit. And, and I think that what's what's interesting, I, I noted that this morning, is that they don't play another team currently above 500 until June 9th. So, I mean, they do. The Padres are, are three games against the Padres. They're not a sub 500 team, even though their record is sub 500. So that's a little misleading. The Tigers have been playing really well, although. I don't think they're good, so I'm not. I, I wouldn't put them in the in the category of the Padres, but some of it matters when you face a team. Um, but they they have a chance, and I don't know how many games it is. I can't remember, but it's like 15 to 20 games, something like that, against sub 500 teams. They, you know, you look at that, and I I don't remember, like I said, what exactly how many it is. I'm going to look real quick, just because I think it 
matters for the point. So, <laughs> um, but they play, let's see, 6, 12, 14, uh, oh, 20. If they go 12 and 8 in this stretch, let's say, which is not exceptional, that's not great baseball. It's a nice 20 game stretch. If they were to go 12 and 8 and get to, what would that put them at? 24 and, oh, God, that's terrible. 24 and 38. <laughs> I think you feel a lot better about this team at 24 and 38 than you do, obviously, at 12 and 30. So, they, they need to take advantage, though, because then the schedule gets tougher again, and, and they've got to face some teams that are that are really good. Okay, I'm curious. Let's fast forward to June 10th. You just said 12-8, and 8, you think, maybe is the record that you try to get to. But what are, what would you want to see like specifically on the field that you think would be more encouraging if, if they're able to, to play at a decently high level during the stretch? Well, there's there's two guys in particular who I, I want to see play well, It's and they're, they're starting pitchers. Brady Singer needs to build on his last start, which I didn't think was that good, but the numbers were good. And Daniel Lynch, who it, they haven't announced anything, um, unless I missed it. But um, he, he should be back on Wednesday for the start. If, if they can get Singer on track and Lynch pitching well, the whole outlook changes. I mean, it's just like everything shifts in that time because – Again, starting pitching is not not only a problem, it is the biggest problem they have. And if they can get Singer back on track and and Lynch pitches to a, I don't know, three or four type guy, like not even not even a one or two, if they can get those two pitching well, it, it changes the trajectory of everything because it gives them two guys who you feel like they can count on. And all of a sudden, when you have two guys, you think, okay, well, maybe find one more and then go out and sign one more. And then you got four guys, and then it's okay. You're real close to five. It, it, it starts to snowball, and so that would be number one. The other thing, too, I mean, it's just the offense continuing to, to play well. Um, I think about Friday night's game. They got shut down by Corbin Burns, but I thought they had some absolutely exceptional plate appearances. I really do. He had great stuff and bad command, and they forced him to throw – a bunch of pitches. Um, I just want to see more of that, really. I'm glad you brought up Daniel Lynch because I was going to ask you, I mean, what do you expect him to be back? Do you think he'll pitch against the Padres this week? And then I guess when he comes back, what are you trying to temper your expectations? What do you expect from him maybe in his first few starts back? Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting. Um, he hasn't been exceptionally great in his rehab appearances in AA and then AAA. He's, the numbers are pretty good. This, I, I, I want to see more strikeouts. I think that it, it's he was he was a little bit confounding in spring training because he was one of the guys I thought that Brian Sweeney and Zach Bove and Mitch Setter could really do wonders with. Um, and he didn't pitch all that great in spring. Um, he was he was probably going to get a rotation spot just by default because if you remember Chris Bubich started the season late or started spring training late with a shoulder issue. Um, what I'm I I really want to see if he can get. Two things: more swing and miss, because uh, you know that that's where that's where a pitcher's bread and butter is. But also, can he do it without throwing ninety six pitches in five innings? I want to see a lot more pitch efficiency from him. And I, I don't know what I'm expecting. To be completely honest, I don't know if I'm expecting more efficiency. I don't know if I'm expecting more of the same. I don't know if I'm expecting. I don't know. I don't know if I. I think I'd be happy if he could get one of those two, the swing and miss and the efficiency. Um, you know, if he ended up 
putting out a lot of six inning, four strikeout games with ninety one pitches, I'd be happy. Or I don't. I think I'd be okay with a lot of five innings, eight strikeouts, ninety six pitches. That wouldn't bother me because he'd be getting the strikeouts. And so I don't know what to expect, but I'm kind of looking for him to at least take a step on one of those two fronts. Do you think it's a guarantee he comes back during for the Padres series, or is it possible maybe that they might hold him for the next series after that? I think it's possible. Um, the off day makes me just gives me a little bit of pause just because they could reset some things if they decided they wanted to. I also think that it's not a coincidence that he was pitching in Omaha on that spot in the rotation. Um, I mean, it was before, um, before Yarbrough got hurt, of course, but even so, I think he was always on track to take that spot regardless. Um, the only reason, the only way that I think it wouldn't be him on Wednesday is if they just didn't like what they saw on Sunday or not Sunday, Friday. Um, if, if, if they didn't like what they saw from him, then maybe they do want him to have one more start. But I, after seeing the way that that, that game went on Friday, and they weren't bad, uh, Taylor or Josh Taylor and then Max Castillo did a decent enough job. But I mean, you know, it helps to have a starter, and and I think that the off day behind it allows them to be careful with Lynch if they bring him back on Wednesday. I. I it's not a guarantee, but I think at this point that's right bet on. Okay, I wanted to go back to the Brewers series for a moment. You have the double error play against the Brewers. What, <laughs> take me through that, and is is there a metaphor that you think aptly describes that particular play? I mean, it's the circus, right? <laughs> it was it, it, that was a total little league play, Michael Garcia. But first of all. It wasn't a great throw because it was a little high. It was never going to get the runner. But Kel Garcia, mental mistake, I think, trying to get the tag down as quickly as possible on a tag that wasn't going to get down in time, no matter what, because of where the throw was. I think you've got to look at that and say, I'm going to catch this ball no matter what. It's not, it's not about swiping to make a quick tag. It's about catching the ball. Um, then he didn't, and then Nate Eaton rushed the throw, which it's a tough angle. I mean, I, Nate Eaton's had a rough year. I... I I don't want to pile on him. He, he took it's just a bad angle to throw to third on that play and as quickly as he has to. And then where the throw went, which was kind of just bad luck, Hunter Dozier got screened by Christian Yelich fighting in. Then the ball went off a third base coach, I think his foot. And even, even on the attempt, Dozier made a really nice attempt to get that ball to the play. I was honestly surprised that it, he was even as close as he was. Um, and then it, of course, hit off the catcher's mask. So, literally everything that could go wrong on that play did. Um, but it all started, and, and I hate to say this, with the Michael Garcia mental error. And, you know, when you are trying to stay in the big leagues and you're not hitting, which he is not hitting, um, you can't make those mistakes like that because it, you're just not going to keep your job. I'm just curious, though. Is that the type of play you think where you know you have maybe some maybe the naivete, naivete of the younger players just trying to think they can make a play? Is that a play where you just yeah. you just have to screw it up to know not to do it again, basically? Yeah, I think there's some value in failing, and that was certainly a fail. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I do. I, I agree. I think that there is some. 
there is some value in that to say, okay, look, I need, now understand not every tag needs to be just as quickly slapped down as possible because I need to know if this runner is running and this ball is here, it doesn't matter how fast I put the tag down because he will be on the base. And so I, I think there is something to that. I also think that Nate Eaton, um, he has a, I mean, we all know this, he has a phenomenal arm. And he played that ball like he has a phenomenal arm that can do no wrong. I think he needs to remember, hey, the arm isn't always perfect. And set your feet if you don't get the, – because the, the worst part about not getting him at third is you want to get him at third. But it's better if you're not going to get him at third to not let him score. And they let him score because of it. So I think there's a couple of spots there that, yeah, young players, um, I yeah, I think that they – they learned something. I also wonder a little bit. I think it was first and third, right? I wonder a little bit if Fermi should have made that throw in the first place. So, uh, or was it Salvi? Was Salvi catching yesterday? I, I think it was Salvi. Yeah, um, it might have been, yeah. It, I'm, I'm off on days. <laughs> but so, so Salvi, yeah, he's not going to learn. He, he can learn things, obviously. He's not a young player. <laughs> but I wonder if that throw should have ever even been made with the runner on third. So there, there's a lot that, that I think went wrong there. Um, hopefully. There is, I've said this before, the Royals could go 0-162, and if they, they learn something about their players, there is some level of success. So, yeah, I think that if you take something away from not having success, then you can see some value in that at the very least. Okay, on the positive side for the Royals over the weekend, Zach Krinke finally accomplished something that he had been on the cusp of for a while. 1,000 unique hitters yeah. struck out. That, that just makes me wonder... Where does Zach Greinke go down once he eventually retires in terms of Royals history of, of pitchers? Like, what, 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 where would you rank him as just, just a pitcher in Royals history? Oh, boy. That, that's got a any longer to think about that than this. this will <laughs> you, can, you can just give a range uh, if you want. But, I mean, he, he went a Cy Young. You automatically get into an upper echelon. Um, I, I mean, I think he's he's going to be behind your split orbs, your Dennis Leonard's. Um, those types of guys, but I think he's right at the top of, of the next year. Um, it, it's kind of too bad that we saw the beginning and the end of his career in Kansas City because outside of 2009, the best seasons were elsewhere. Um, but he's, he's had a, a wins and losses, not great, but a really phenomenal Royals career as well. So um, he's I would say top, I mean, off the top of my head, top 15, uh, maybe top 20. Uh, and all, I mean, it's funny, his, his Royals rankings and his all-time baseball rankings probably aren't all that different, which seems kind of weird just that he hasn't had, he only had the one great season for the Royals in particular. So, so that, that knocks him down a little bit. But that, that's an interesting, interesting thought exercise that I might, I might dig into a little bit. <laughs> All right, David, finally, as always, your player of the week from last week. So it's been kind of difficult to pick from a few guys, but this week I think it was pretty easy. Um, I will say they had six players of the WRC Plus of 100 or higher. It's actually, of, of 141 or higher. Um, but Nick Prado, Nick Prado had a great week. 381 average, 500 on base, 667 slug. He had seven RBIs. Um, his strikeout rate was below 20%. We are looking at a different hitter. And I, I think he's here to stay. It, it, it's 
he had a huge week. And so he's, he's the guy for me. All right, David. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for coming on as always. And look forward to chatting with you next week. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. All right, that was David Lesky of Inside the Crown joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on a Monday. Always great to hear from David and give us uh, some perspective on the Royals. One hour down, two to go. Coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, Case of the Mondays, followed by our last two round two matchups of RCST Trivia before we will officially be in the sizzling 16. That's coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. 5 o'clock hour, we got some big some big KU football news we got to get to in the 5 o'clock hour, along with some KU basketball transfer news as well. That's what's coming up here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. As I said, one hour down, two to go. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache, okay? Let's just calm down. How am I supposed to calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson... When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. All right, that time for Case of the Mondays here on your Monday edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll get into uh, some RCST trivia a little bit after this. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. And first up on Case of the Mondays, is uh, I guess it's got to be KU, right? <laughs> Ernest Dude, Zuby Edgefer transferring away. Yeah, kind of a tough Friday into the weekend for for KU, really. I guess Thursday, Friday into the weekend. Yeah, and uh, Mackenzie Mbako obviously doesn't pick KU as well. Obviously, KU should be just fine. Yeah, so this is like this is like one of those cases of the Mondays where it's like you know you had a bad weekend, but maybe you've got had some kind of. <laughs> I don't know the rest. <laughs> Maybe you had uh, you know just a bad weekend, but you got something to look forward to upcoming, and you know that you know that you're just it's it's gonna be fine, right? Like you know, like okay, yeah, had a bad weekend, you know, it rained all weekend or whatever, you know. But I know this upcoming next up, it'll be fine. Yeah, so that's like, how oh, I got a parking ticket, and yeah. you know, somebody rear-ended but maybe, me. But maybe it's like your birthday the week after, so yeah. you know, so you're still like excited. Turn around. Yeah, you still know it's gonna turn around. Yeah. All right, uh, Disney Plus is having a case of the Mondays. So apparently Disney Plus has lost 4 million subscribers in quarter two so far in 2023. Now, Mm. many have um, expected this to be, oh, it's because like, you know, whatever you're, you're, uh, this TV show now stinks or the Marvel movies, like now people aren't like that's starting to lose popularity and stuff or... Uh, whatever reason, or like Disney's gone, you know, some people will be like, I mean, Disney's gone woke or something like that. Me personally, I don't watch it. I haven't seen any of the Marvel movies. Okay, well, this is the real reason. I, either way, it's hurting Disney because they lost 4 million subscribers, but this is kind of funny. So uh, this this was an article posted in TechCrunch. Uh, the main reason behind the decline was Disney Plus Hotstar, which shed 8% of its subscriber base, going from 57.5 million subs in quarter one to 52.9. Many viewers in India are upset with the company's decision to not retain streaming rights for the Indian Premier Cricket League. 
Oh, so the reason that that Disney Plus is so lost they, I mean, four million subscribers. Think wow. about that. That's a lot of money. No, that That's, is a lot. I, I don't remember how much it four is million a month. times. Yeah, like let's say it's 13, ten dollars a month. Yeah, I think it's like 12, 13 bucks a month. Yeah, let's just uh, for easy math. If we call it ten. Listen, we're in the four o'clock hour, but that doesn't mean that I can do math. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm gonna you let can you do ten times four million. That's forty, 40 million. Yes. Right. That's okay, forty yeah. million dollars yeah. a month. Yeah, no, that that's yeah, okay, a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. So I mean, over a year, that's you know what, four hundred and eighty million dollars. That's a lot of money to lose for not retaining yeah. the rights to the Indian Premier Cricket League. Now, obviously, that seems like something so silly from like our end where it's like, oh, how much could that be? I don't know. The, the, the rights for that might be really expensive because like from a worldwide perspective, from like a... I mean, I think cricket's in India, a pretty, that's the biggest sport. Yeah, like Southeast Asia, yeah. India, you know, that that's that's what they do, right? Yeah. They play cricket. Yeah. Have you ever watched a cricket match? No, I haven't. Ah. I mean, I've seen like highlights. I've, this is I don't not think I've, I've ever watched it. a cricket match either. Uh, I don't think I could explain the rules to you. I feel like... I don't know. Well, so I know you're supposed to. I mean, obviously, you hit the ball and then you run around with your paddle. I, do you run around? I think you just run back and forth, don't you? Between oh. like the, they have the little like pins or I stakes. I thought you or had to like run around, dude. I don't know. I don't want. We should sound like I'm an idiot. But. Should we do a segment during the uh, summer during the off season of like breaking you know, down cricket? No, just I, I was gonna say breaking down a random sport we know nothing about. Okay, yeah, I'll follow me. Well, no, what we should do is we should go in and like actually study it, and then we break it down. Based on what we said, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, we go funny? in. Oh, okay. You okay? Okay, I see. What I'm you're going saying. for the comedy aspect. Okay, sure. Yeah. Like what? What? Yeah. What's up with this? You know? Okay, a sport I will. Or we need like an expert to come on and explain us, and then I we refuse, ask stupid questions. I a sport I refuse to do that with is water polo. I hate water polo. Why? I think water polo is the worst, stupidest, dumbest Why? sport of all time. It's really so <laughs> it's stupid. Such a random take, dude. Uh, listen, when the Olympics are on, I will watch most Olympic okay. sports. I, you know, if the Olympics are on, like cross country skiing, whatever, I'll I'll watch it. Water polo, no, <laughs> it's stupid. I think it's the dumbest sport of all time. Why? If you're a water polo player, I'm sorry, find a new I, I don't understand what. Yeah, they what? just tread water. Have you watched you it? You throw a ball. No, they just make tread water goal. for an hour and do nothing. That's part of the the toughness no, of it. It's stupid. You have to be very. You have to have really good stamina. No, have you ever tried I, to tread no, water for an it's, hour? It's ridiculous. No, very tough. I'm not very, watching very water tough. polo. That's why I draw the line. I will watch literally any sport. Water polo, no. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, Disney Plus feeling it right now. They got to get their cricket back, man. <laughs> uh, bums who think they can out hoop Chris Jones are having okay, cases. Okay. So life. back on like uh, over the weekend. There was a video of Chris Jones playing basketball mm-hmm. during the offseason. Chiefs right? Chris Jones. Chris, Chiefs, in case you Chris, don't know. Yeah, Chiefs yeah. Chris Jones, defensive tackle. And uh, I, I think I think somebody like I think somebody on Twitter like tweeted and was like, Chris Jones should not play basketball or something. Like he's not very good or whatever. And then that that prompted Chris Jones to tweet this. Next year I'm having a celebrity charity basketball <laughs> game for all of you bums out there that think you can out hoop me. <laughs> I love how he says that. Dude, Chris Jones is awesome. Um, so, <laughs> so I, don't, okay, I don't know. A couple know. questions here. The Chiefs are probably like, no, Chris, you're not playing yeah, because in this, right? If I'm not mistaken, I think a couple years ago he got hurt playing basketball. Oh, is I that think. what the, I, I remember they used to have the basketball hoop in the middle. I think you're yes. right. It was think, like back or something Jones like that. Hurt. Yeah, I think yeah, he like, had the basketball hoop in the locker room. Yes. And he, you're, you're right. And I think he, he got did. hurt. He missed but that, like was a, like, that was like three or four years ago, I think. Yes, it was toward the end. Of, I want to say it was toward the end of like the regular season. He might have missed yes. a playoff game. I don't. I don't remember. I, yes, I don't, I think you're 100 percent right. There is a story there. So yeah, there's no way the Chiefs are going to be like, yeah, Chris, you're going to get to. <laughs> well, like, we're going to let you play all out against. Yeah, exactly. The the, the the bottom line like, here is that is Chris Jones the type of guy that's going to play basketball and go like 50 percent? 
No. No. He's going to be going all out, absolutely body slamming, truck and steamrolling oh, guys in the paint and just trying to go nuts. We need to bring back this list. I need to do an updated one. Uh, a top 10, um, or maybe we'll do, uh, no, we'll just do top 10 worst guys to play against and pick up basketball. <laughs> the overly aggressive football player. <laughs> who's like a big dude and just throws his body around? Chris Jones plays this like dude's football. Like that is that's one of the top ten worst. Where you're just getting like bloodied and beaten, and it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm just trying to play pick a basketball, right? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right with Chris Jones, but he's also like six six, so like he's just <laughs> killing you on there. Um, yeah, so but maybe this this is him saying it's it's next offseason. So this is actually kind of genius. The more I think about it, he's not under contract with the Chiefs next year. Well, but the idea is that they're going to sign him. Correct. So what if this is a ploy by him? <laughs> to be like, sign me now or I'm scheduling this this charity Ooh. basketball event. And if I schedule the charity basketball event before you sign me, then I'm going to be allowed to write it into my contract. And on top of that, you can't have me cancel it. It's a charity event. True, so if you yeah. want to sign me, sign me now before I schedule this. <laughs> this could be a marketing ploy. It could be. It could a be. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe so. I, I honestly think this is just Chris Jones saying, I'm going to literally beat everybody in everything <laughs> that I can do and I don't care. Would you... Uh, would you did you ever watch that show? Like as, as a kid, it was um, uh, it was like Shaq versus I don't know. Shaq just like tried a bunch of sports. <laughs> Did you ever see that? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Does no. that ring a bell to you? No, it doesn't. There's some show. It was on for like a year or two. Was it on like MTV or something? No, it was on like one of the main channels, like ABC oh. or something. Um, and like Shaq would just he would play against like other professionals in sports. It was okay. like that concept. Did you do you ever know about the show Pros versus Joes? I've heard of that show. Yes. Okay, so yeah, that was probably like I was a kid when that was kind of happening, and I, I watched it. A ton, I've heard but, like, of it. I don't think I ever watched. Yeah, it. Yeah, probably just missed you. Um, pros versus Joe's awesome. I wish they would bring that back. But it was basically <laughs> that, but it was Shaq versus Pros. <laughs> so like Shaq would. I, there was one where he's like going against like Ben Roethlisberger and some like quarterback competition. Shaq could not like throw a spiral. I don't know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> side note, I want to see that with Chris Jones. Okay, John well, Moran, not while he's on the Chiefs. Sure. Uh, yeah, Shaq had been retired, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John Morant is having a case of the Mondays. So he was suspended earlier this season for, I don't know, a couple weeks. I think he missed eight games. Okay, yeah, sure so it was, it was a lengthy, lengthy absence. Um, because he had a, I forget if it was an IG Live or an Instagram picture. He was in a picture, nightclub, but he was, yeah, and he nightclub, like strip, was strip club, whatever. Flashing back, right? To, yes. So that wasn't great. So then he goes through the rehabilitation process. Yeah, he, I think he I did know, like special training classes. Yeah, like, I think he had to talk to like... Psychiatrist yeah. or some expert or something, yeah. right? I uh, get suspended all those games and everything. And then there was an Instagram live yesterday where he's in a car. You briefly see it, but he's so, he yeah. flashes a gun. So this is an Instagram live by somebody else. Yeah, like by one his, of his like boys. friend so or it's something like not him. driving the car. But yeah. yeah, one of his boys is like turns it on and he like shows John Moran and yeah, it, it appears as though he was like brandishing a gun yes. again for the second time. Which and so uh, the first time it happened, it was like a pretty big deal, and he got suspended, right? And it was pretty big headlines. And now, the second time, it's like, okay, what are we, what are we doing here? Because the second time in this, ha the fact that it happened, I mean, there's so many things that are really stupid here. To do an Instagram live, like one, his friend, what are you thinking? Uh, two, I think that probably shows you that John Morant is probably not surrounding himself with the best friends that are putting him in the best situations. Three. Like, why, John Morant? Like, what What do you have to yeah, gain like, by what showing? You, exactly. Did you see at the time that the Instagram Live was going when he when it happened, there were 150 people watching. Was really? that worth it for you? Was that <laughs> worth it? Right? I did not see that. Um, so that's not great. And then, like, if you're just John Morant, you doing that, it shows that you basically, 
everything that you went through, whatever, talking to experts, like didn't do saying anything. you're sorry, like it yeah. now feels like you were just lying that whole yes. time. Maybe you weren't. Like maybe this is just, I don't know, whatever happened. But like, that's not great. I do think it's funny. The team suspended him from team activities. Like you're not, you're not playing. What, what do you mean? Suspended I mean, from I don't what? Know. They might have. I don't know. They might have a team luncheon, off-season. Off he's not allowed to go to the cookout, off-season with, with Dylan Brooks and I don't Jaron know. Jackson. I'm assuming if he gets suspended from team activities, he's not getting paid, though. I guess would be. Probably yeah, I guess. I don't know how that works. Do you get paid by game or do you pay? I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. But the real, the real thing here is think about the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, the number two seed, like they look like they were on the brink of being yeah. like a perennial, you know. They were going to be the next team. Finals this team. happens all the time in the NBA, by the way. We think this team is going to be the next team, and then it just and then poof. Dylan Brooks spouts off to LeBron James <laughs> and gets absolutely crushed. And then there, and then Memphis is like, "We're not bringing Dylan Brooks back under any circumstances." And now this, yeah, train wreck. Yeah, not great, man. Not great. Uh, eliminated NBA playoff teams are having a case of the Mondays. Obviously, Suns lost to the Nuggets. Warriors lost yep. to the Lakers. Knicks lost to the Heat. And yesterday, the 76ers lost. To the Celtics. Yes. So the conference finals are now set. Yep. Uh, which brings us into our next thing. This is something okay. you want to discuss. Case of the Mondays for people who think the NBA playoffs are good and fun to watch. You just listed it <laughs> off there. There was four elimination games over the weekend. Well, going back to I yeah. think Thursday. End of last week. Yeah. 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 Four elimination games. Three of them were by 21 points or more. The Lakers beat the, the Warriors by 21. The Nuggets won by 25. And the Celtics won by 24. 24 points. I'm supposed to get excited and watch a, and be excited to watch a game where it's a 25-point loss in an elimination game? Like, what What are we doing? I don't understand. Okay? And I got people come to me and say, Oh, well, well Jason Tatum played a, a really, really great game. I don't care. Okay? I want to watch a competitive game. All right, I don't. I don't give a damn if Jason Tatum scored fifty-one points. I just want to watch a close game. Okay, now, th- this happened last like, postseason what? and the postseason before too. So last year you had the Celtics beating the Bucks in a game seven in the uh, in this round by twenty-eight. You had the Mavericks beating the Suns by thirty-three, I think. And um, I mean, it's just like how like I'm supposed to. And okay, it even goes beyond elimination games. I mean, look at the Lakers Warriors series in a seven in a six-game series. What? Three of the games were by, like, 25 points or more? Yeah. No, there, there haven't been a lot of close games. I, th- I think uh, last year it was about one in every four playoff games were decided by 20 or more points. I think if you look back at the finals, like, all the games were pretty much decided by, like, 10 or more points. It's pretty much what the NBA has become is which is team— when you get when you start to get blown out, you just give up, and then you just go to the next I, game. See, I wonder—that could be part of it. Um, but, see, that doesn't— Makes sense for the game sevens because there's there's nothing to play. You know well, what I, I mean? Don't, I don't know, man. I think it has a little bit to do with the the three point line and the fact that usually whichever team is just hot that game, that's the team that wins. And you, if you have one team that's hot and one team that's cold, because of the mass amount of threes the teams are shooting now, it leads to such a large margin. And I said this last year. I'll say it again now. I think the NBA needs to get rid of corner threes. Just have the three point line start from the out of bounds line and curve around. No corner threes. That's the like highest percentage three-point shot. That will make it so that the mid-range is back a little bit more. It'll certainly change up some things. It'll make some of these games closer because a lot of times what happens is one team will go, you know, 18 of 40 from three, and the other team well, yeah, will I mean, go like in eight the, of 40. I mean, in the game yesterday between the Celtics and the Sixers, it was close at half, and then I think the Celtics outscored the Sixers by like 30 in the third quarter or something like that. Yeah, Jason Tatum couldn't miss. 
So yeah. I, I, I and don't again, know, man. but like I, I just it just sucks because we want close I, listen, games. If I it, am not. I'm a casual NBA enjoyer. Okay? But that's I'm, exactly I'm a casual, you're a casual fan. All you want so, is a good game. Exactly. I don't care how many points Jason Tatum scored. I'd rather watch a close game. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like that's 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 me. And I understand that there are lots of NBA fans who are like. Oh, this is so cool to watch Jason Tatum score 50. Oh, this is so cool to watch Steph Curry be great. And yeah, it's like, it's fun and cool, but it's only fun and cool if, like, the other team is not down by 100. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I, I just, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's, it's annoying that how many of these games have uh, kind of turned that way over the past couple of years in the postseason. Uh, last one, this is a very literal one. College graduates, because graduation <laughs> happened. You're yep. having a lot of parties. Yep. You're going to you know bars you for the last be, time. Whatever you might it is, be feeling it a little bit this morning or today. today. You were definitely having a case of Mondays. And now, yep. welcome to the real yes. world where and now, you're uh, party's over. Yep, real world starts now. You're either unemployed now or you have a job and you that you're going to start soon hate. and you're going to dislike it. Your boss is going to yes, suck. Exactly. It's going to be miserable. <laughs> I had one former boss who I interned for who said, uh, every job is like a bleep sandwich. It just depends on how big a bite and how much sauce. So, um, you know, there's everything. Everybody's job is going to have something that you're not going to love. I love our job. There are certain things, though, like sometimes the Wi-Fi doesn't work or sometimes the (laughs) phone lines doesn't work. But today, so far, so good. All right, with Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We have more RCST trivia coming at you. Two more second-round matchups finishing out the 4 o'clock hour. This is KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we have uh, some more trivia coming at you today on RCST. Once again, RCST trivia is brought to you by Johnny's Tavern, Pella Windows and Doors, 23rd Street Brewery, River App Print and Skate, Mini Jerseys, Jayhawk Trophy, Home Field Apparel, Sporting KC2, McDonald's, and Mr. D's Auto Wash. Next trivia question, what Windows and Doors provider has been serving Kansas since 1957? The answer, your locally owned Pella Windows and Doors of Kansas with six showrooms across the state from Lawrence to Dodge City. Got a Windows or Doors project? Pella Kansas is here, locally owned and proudly serving Jayhawks for over 65 years with Windows and Doors solutions for every home and any budget. Our first matchup of the day is another second-round matchup. It is between the 7-seed Eli and the 15-seed Kyle. Let's get into it. We have two more second-round trivia matchups, and the first of them is in our 23rd Street Brewery region with the 7-seed Eli Loney, the 15-seed Kyle Brooks. And Eli, we'll start with you. You got your first trivia advancement uh, about a week or two ago, and you've gone 9-2 and all-time on questions. Now you look around, your bracket is kind of broken open. You're playing a 15 seed here. The 16 beat the one earlier. What are your thoughts moving ahead here in trivia? Well, I'll answer your ridiculous question with my own question. (laughs) I'll say, you know, do you respect anybody that's left? And I say, no, I don't respect anybody. They're old. Kyle's old. Whoa. And I I don't respect him until he drops 40 on me. I don't respect him until he goes five rounds on me. I don't respect nobody. Oh man! Wow, I love it. Okay, so maybe hey. we are we are developing the, if the you, villain. If you lose, you can't you can't dodge the post game questions. <laughs> Find me, boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kyle, uh, you you are now taking on Eli, who is uh, quickly becoming I don't know a villain here, and and you know spouting off. Uh, do you want to reciprocate with any trash talk, or, or are you going to play it coy? No, no, no. When I trash talk, it doesn't end well for me. So I. Uh, you know, I try to uh, avoid that during uh, Chiefs games, KU games, any kind of game because I really don't want to. You know, I just it just never ends well when I trash talk. My team loses. That's so, totally fair. 
Totally I'm fair. Avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Kyle, you made your trivia debut, and you upset a two seed. How are you feeling headed into this matchup? Uh, yeah, good. Uh, hopefully, uh, again, hopefully I get a, a few right here at least, uh, and not, you know, fall out, uh, like dismiss the first question or second question. Hopefully I get a few and we go to like the hard round or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Eli, um, I don't know anything that, that you want to, to say to, to Nick or anything like that. I mean, I, I can't remember. I think he might've picked you in this game. Might've not, but I, I don't think he has you going to the phenomenal four. Do you, do you? I have anything to say to him. Well, you know, sometimes when you're at the top of the mountain, you're going to have haters. I mean, I'm used to it at this point. Everywhere I've gone, I've had haters. Haters here, haters there. And Nick's just another one of the haters I'm about to roll over and stomp <laughs> on today. Listen, I already flexed my trivia muscles in an exhibition. Ah. Well, that, that sounded like a... Oh, I'm Eli. Jeez. That sounded like a Dr. Seuss book. Haters here, haters there. Haters everywhere. Haters everywhere. Okay. Kyle, you have the option. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? Yep. I'll uh, stick with uh, going second this week. Okay. Eli, you're up first in the really easy round. What is the last name of this former Jayhawk? Christian B. We're going to go Brown. Yep. Brown works. Guess if you thought of somebody else, that would have worked too, but that's what we were thinking of. Okay, Kyle, for you. What's the last name of this former Jayhawk? Remy M. Martin. Yep. That one would have been a little bit harder to think outside the box. I'm not sure there were any other Remy's in the time yeah. at uh, KU. All right, you guys knocked those out of the park. On to the easy round we go. Back to Eli. Name this KU player who was a first-team AP All-American in both the 1996-97 and 1997-98 seasons who wore the number 45. Repeat the question. Yeah, name a KU player who was first-team, this KU player who was first-team AP All-America both in the 96-97 and 97-98 seasons, and he wore the jersey number 45. 10 seconds. We're going to go Rafe LaFriends. That's right. Rafe LaFriends. Could have also thought Paul Pierce in that era, but the one giveaway was the jersey number at 45, if you knew it. All right, Kyle, for you. Name this KU player who was a first-team AP All-American in both the 1986 to 87 and 1987 to 1988 seasons, who wore the number 25. Danny Manning. Yep, two all-time greats, probably two of the top 10 greats, KU basketball history with both Rafe and Danny. On to the medium round we go. Back to you, Eli. What ACC school did Kansas lose to in the 1957 National Championship game that occurred in three overtimes despite Wilt Chamberlain going for 23 points and 14 rebounds. North Carolina, baby. You were sitting there for a while. Did you know the answer? Were you just trying to milk the clock? 
oh, you know, we're just gonna <laughs> let the haters relish in the potential, <gasps> get their heart rates up, get them all excited. And I'll just knock it right down in your face. You were sitting there just smiling. <laughs> you knew the answer the whole time. All right, Kyle, this one for you. What ACC school did Kansas beat in the 1988 Final Four, 66 to 59, before eventually winning the national title that year? Duke. That's right. That one went a little bit better than the 1986 game. That's for sure. All right, yeah, we're moving yeah. on to the hard rounds. Music picks up. Intensity picks up. Here between our 715, Eli and Kyle. Winner takes on Andrew Wymore in the Sizzling 16 of the 23rd Street Brewery region. Also gets a gift card to 23rd Street Brewery, Sporting KC2 tickets, and an RCST trivia t-shirt from River at Print Escape. Back to you, Eli. What was the best seed that Kansas played in the 2011 NCAA tournament. Oh, I have no idea if that second round game was an eight or a nine. In 2011? Yep, 10 seconds. We'll go nine. Your guess was, well, I mean, it was an educated guess. You were between two. You narrowed it down to 50-50. Yeah, nine-seed Illinois was the best seed they played because they played VCU, who was an 11 in the Elite Eight. They played a 12-seed Richmond in the Sweet 16 and obviously the 16-seed in the first round. Nine-seed Illinois in the second round. All right, Kyle, for you to push us to the really hard round. Prior to playing North Carolina in the 2012 Elite Eight, what was the best seed that Kansas played in their first three NCAA tournament games? Um, we'll go with a seven seed. Ah, man. It was the team who beat the seven seed that year. Ten seed Purdue. Robbie Hummel. That's right. That's right. So they played Purdue. They played the 15 the first round, 10 seed Purdue in the second round, and then they played an 11 seed NC State in the Sweet 16 uh, before that ended up happening. And, man, that's a tough one for you, Kyle. Kyle, if the questions would have been reversed, would you have gotten the other one correct? Uh, No, that would have been difficult. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I probably would have guessed uh, an 8 or a 9, but... um, I knew they played North Carolina State before North Carolina, so I knew it wasn't Sweet 16 game. I uh, just got it wrong on the second round guess. So, yeah, it was it was kind of the same idea there for for Eli that it you know you narrow it down and you get kind of do a 50-50 point. You know which seed is it? Eli, would you have gotten the answer to the 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 Purdue question there, the ten seed one? I thought they were a seven seed. Oh man! Mm. Wow. Well, that's mm. that's certainly tough. Sick. <laughs> the haters are sick, that's for sure. So take me through. What went through your mind when you got the Illinois one right? Well, I knew Richmond was a 12 seed and BC was an 11 seed. And I think I said that I was just going to have to take a 50-50 guess because I couldn't even remember who the second round opponent was. But, you know, sometimes when you're this good and you're this hot, you know, you just, <laughs> you just, get, these, you just get these right. So, Kyle, we, we've heard from a lot of people that when they lose to someone, they root for them to win it all because it makes them – look better, uh, so to speak. But with Eli kind of, you know, spouting off here, are you rooting for or against Eli moving forward? 
uh, I don't think he's really spouting at me. So you know what? <laughs> Best of luck to him, and uh, and uh, he's he's probably going to be a pretty tough out the rest of the way here. So good luck to you, man. Yeah, he is, and hey, and man, I think brother. smart smart of you. Kyle to avoid becoming one of those haters that that Eli is talking about. Eli, what is your message as you move on to the sizzling sixteen? Well, I want Nick Short to know that he's a fraud. <laughs> I want whoever's in front of me to know to get ready. They're about to be taken to the Thunderdome. I will own you. <laughs> Love it. Well, guys, appreciate the time, and uh, Eli, we'll see you next week, man. Take care, guys. Thank you, guys. So that was the 17 Eli moving on. We have an official villain now. Yes. Yeah, we do. The Thunderdome. The Thunder- Listen, you gotta back that, you gotta back that talk <laughs> up, man. You won your one matchup. Good job. You're in the sizzling 16. Mm-hmm. Okay. Two matchups. Big whoop. Now you gotta back it up. Once you get into the sizzling 16. Yeah, there is a risk involved with becoming the villain. It's that other people are rooting against you. It's if to you become flame out early, man. Become polarizing. If you flame out early. Man. Yep. You're not going to hear the end of it. That's for sure. <laughs> from us, from other contestants, it's a risk. Uh, but I think Eli certainly like, okay, this is a perfect example. Again, if you've been in trivia in the past and, and maybe you haven't gotten out of the, the first round or the second round um, and you're like, man, should I, should I keep doing it? You know, we had Ben on Friday kind of talking about like, man, I, I don't know if I could keep doing it. If, um, you know, I would have, I would have lost in the second round. Look at Eli. He lost in the first round his first two appearances, and now he's in the sizzling 16, and you know the matchup with him and Andrew Wymore is going to be a coin flip, but would it be surprising if Eli made a phenomenal four? Like, heck no. He's definitely playing with a lot of confidence right now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. sure. So let that be a lesson to anybody. If if you're like, I feel embarrassed that I lost in the early round, like, don't. It happens. Everybody knows their stuff in this tournament for the most part. And, you know, it's it's a hard tournament. Sometimes the questions go your yeah. way. Sometimes it don't. Just have fun with it. And I if mean, you this, keep this coming back, be, eventually you're going to make a run and you're going to win some cool prizes. I mean, this might be harder than the regular NCAA tournament. Oh, I, I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the NCAA, what do they do? They just run up and down. Exactly. Oh, I'm so oh, fast. I just threw I'm the so ball. Oh, oh, let me just you know, try to dunk a this ball. This is knowledge. Yes, this is 100%. studying. This is way more difficult. Way more difficult. Yeah. So uh, our, our trivia contestants, just know that. If you have yes. won the trivia tournament. You are uh, go find Bill Self. Be like, what yeah. have you done? Well, what <laughs> have you done, bud? Trivia trophy. Yeah. What What have you done? Yeah. Oh, I just got this trivia yeah. trophy. Be like, oh, big whoop! You yelled at some eighteen year olds to go run around. <laughs> what? <if? laughs> I yeah. I did more work here. <laughs> um. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, that should be a fun matchup though. Eli versus Andrew in the sizzling sixteen with a spot in the grade eight on the line. We have one more second round matchup coming at you. It is uh, on the bottom right region in the Johnny's Tavern region between the five seed Kevin Jacob and the 13 seed in uh, Chris Conway. And uh, before we head into the Johnny's Tavern region, that is one of our title sponsors here. Did you know in 2023, Johnny's Tavern is celebrating its 70th year anniversary? That's good news for you because they'll be having all sorts of specials at your local Johnny's throughout the year. Stay tuned for more details about a 70th anniversary celebration at our original location in North Lawrence where you can be part of the neighborhood porch. 13 locations now of Johnny's from Topeka all the way to the newest store in Raymore, Missouri. You want to try their new beer too. Uh, Blue Collar Lager. It's a beer you can only get at Johnny's, so exclusivity. It's brewed by Free State Brewing Company. Go try it right now. It's Blue Collar Lager at Johnny's. All right, our next trivia matchup next on RCST.
We have one more second round trivia matchup to get to, and then the Sizzling 16 will be set here. Once again, RCST Trivia brought to you by our title sponsors, Johnny's Tavern, Pella Windows and Doors, 23rd Street Brewery, and River Rat Print and Skate. Did you know River Rat Print and Skate has screen printing and a skate shop? They have embroidery and promotional products available with art and logo creation. They are KU licensed, and they have the skate shop as well, with skateboards, longboards, paddleboards, and safety gear, a large selection of shoes and apparel from well-known skate brands. They can help you out with custom apparel just like they did with our RCST Trivia t-shirts and hats. Follow them on Instagram at river underscore rat underscore print for the print shop and at river rat skate shop for the skate side. Give them a call at 785-371-1660. So our final second round matchup is between a five-seed Kevin Jacob and a 13-seed Chris Conway. Kevin was really impressive in his first matchup. He went five and one. Yeah, yeah, this should be an interesting matchup for sure. I, I don't remember too much from Chris's matchup. I mean, obviously he got the win, but I don't really remember. It was the it one was, against uh, Aaron that was either in the easy or the really, I think it was an easy round where Aaron just brain farted on uh, something about yeah, Paul yeah, Pierce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. he guessed Ray for friends or might have been vice versa. Um, but I mean, for Chris, this is his second, second round appearance. Can he make his first sizzling 16 or will Kevin make his second? Let's get into the matchup. This is our final second round matchup. It's the five seed Kevin Jacob against the 13 seed Chris Conway. And this is in the Johnny's Tavern region. The winner of this will take on the one seed with Justin Nichols. Uh, so, Chris, you got your second ever second round appearance with a win in the first week, uh, taking down the four seed Aaron Mayer. You're trying to get to the sizzling 16 now for the first time. What is this kind of moment for you feel like? Do you feel like this is the one that you're trying to get over the hump on? Yeah, just trying to trying to break the ice on it and get uh, get past to uh, the, the sizzling sweet sixteen, I guess, <laughs> for the first time. So, I think if I you know get that, that's um, better than I've done before. So, I'll definitely take it. You mentioned one of our past trivia contestants, Tate Voback, that you know you've talked with him and uh, his brother, and um, I'm curious if they if they've given you any pointers, tips, tricks, or, or anything to help you out coming into this one. They have not. I haven't talked to Tate in a while. I talk to Alec often, um, but no tips because Alec refuses to join, so he wouldn't be able to provide any. But uh, no, just maybe some trash talk back and forth. Uh, well, Kevin, for you, you uh, had quite the impressive victory in the first round. You went five and one on questions, and you're now sitting at seventeen and five overall on questions. You're you've made a sizzling sixteen before, so what what is it going to take for you to get back to that point? think uh, I kind of look at it like match play golf. I kind of just anticipate him getting all the questions right. So I'm just going to have to get all mine right. And, you know, you always expect the other person to make it or get it right. So uh, if you go into it with that mindset, you won't be too surprised when they start answering a whole bunch of questions in a row. Uh, and notice you made the golf reference there. You're wearing a Titleist KU hat right now. Are you a big golfer? What are you better at? RCSC trivia or golfing? Oh, uh, well, my golf game's terrible, so it'd have to be trivia by default. <laughs> um, <laughs> I haven't played golf yet this year, so I'm, I've actually played more RCS trivia than golf, so okay. we'll go with that. Okay. All right, well, uh, let's get into the matchup then. Chris, you were the lower seed. Do you want to go first, or do you want to go second? Uh, I will go second. Okay. That means, Kevin, you were up first, and we'll start in the really easy round of questions. First for you, Kevin. Who is Alan Fieldhouse named after? Fog Allen. Yep. Fog Allen. Forrest Allen would have worked as well. All right, Chris, for you, 
Who is Naismith Court named after? James Naismith. Yep. Dr. Naismith also would have worked there. All right. Two really easy ones down. Back to you, Kevin. Into the easy round. Name a non-Big 12 team that Kansas beat last season in the regular or postseason. Howard. That's right. They beat Howard in the first round of the NCAA tournament. All right, Chris, this one for you. Name a Big 12 team that Kansas beat twice last season, and you can include both the regular season and the postseason Big 12 tournament. Texas Tech. That's right, Texas Tech. They beat them twice in the regular season. Also beat Oklahoma State twice, Oklahoma twice, and uh, they beat West Virginia three times, Iowa State twice because of the Big 12 tournament. Those are the answers you could have gone with there. On to the medium round we go. Back to you, Kevin. What seed was Kansas in the 2006 NCAA tournament in which they lost in the first round? Okay, so 2006, they were a four seed. They were a four seed. Unfortunately, lost in the first round. That was uh, saying goodbye to... Actually, no, that was previous year. Okay, nonetheless. Uh, on to you, Chris. What seed was Kansas in the 2009 NCAA tournament in which they lost in the Sweet 16? They were a uh, three seed, I think, lost to Michigan State. Is that your answer? Yes. They were a three seed. Did lose to Michigan State in that Sweet 16 game. A game that it, kind of similar to this Arkansas game this past year with uh, probably should have won that game. All right, we're moving up into the hard rounds. Spotting the sizzling 16 on the line. Winner going to win a gift card to 23rd Street Brewery, a RCST t-shirt from River at Print and Skate, and tickets to Sporting KC two games right here in Lawrence at Rock Chalk Park. Back to you, Kevin. On February 5th of 2022... Kansas blew out what AP ranked top 10 opponent 83 to 59 in a Big 12 game. February of 2022. So that was the year they won the championship. And was it AP top 10 team you said? Yes. 10 seconds. Um, I'm going to say Texas Tech. The correct answer is the Baylor Bears. Yeah, I almost guessed Baylor. Yeah, top 10 opponent. They just housed them in Allen Fieldhouse. That was uh, the weekend after, one week after they had lost to Kentucky by almost 20 points in Allen Fieldhouse, and then they blew out Baylor from the word go. All right, Chris, your chance to win it in the hard round. The next game on February 7th of 2022. Kansas couldn't hold a 76 to 72 lead with a minute left and instead lost 79 to 76 on the road against what Big 12 team? Texas. That was Texas, a game that they kind of blew late. Also, I think Trey Mitchell like banked in a three toward the end of it. And Chris. Thanks. You are moving on 
to the sizzling 16. What does this moment feel like for you? Uh, it's nice to, to finally make it there um, after years of not being able to do so. Um, it was definitely a good uh, competitive round, so it was um, you know, always a good time. And if, if those questions would have been reversed, would you have hit on the Baylor one? Yes, um, I would have hit on the Baylor one. I, uh, I I live in Texas, so I'm not a big Baylor fan. I don't like Texas. I don't like Texas Tech. So um, those games I always have pretty good memory on. Kevin, if they would have been reversed, would you have hit the Texas one there? Yeah, I remember them losing to Texas. I The Baylor one, I just don't have any recollection of them just beating Baylor that bad, but I guess they did. Yep, yep, one game before there. Well, Kevin, we, we know that you know your stuff. You, you've accumulated a lot of uh, trivia, correct answers over the, the, the past competitions and stuff. Obviously, this one a little bittersweet to go out this way, but uh, we hope we get you back next year. Chris, man, congrats. You're moving on to the Sizzling six, or, or the uh, yeah, sizzling 16 next week. Appreciate it. So, wow, Chris pulling the upset. And in a, a, the right side of our bracket is a lot chalkier. You have a, a one versus five in the Pella windows and doors region, then a three versus seven, which, you know, yeah. a little unchalky there, but not crazy. Then you have a, a six versus two on the bottom, a one seed in Justin Nichols. But now and he's 13. kind of the one Cinderella left on, on that, the, the right side of the bracket with Chris. Yeah. What do you think of his chances against Justin? It's tough. Justin's obviously a one seed for a region, uh, a reason, right? Um, Chris has obviously shown he knows his stuff so far. He's gone six and zero on questions, but it, it's hard for me not to favor Justin. Yeah. Anything can happen in this tournament. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I not going to rule anything that this, out. That this matchup went a little bit further gives me a little more confidence in Chris. Right? I mean, if he if he had another matchup that went to like the easy or even the medium round, I'd be like, eh, has this guy really been tested? You know, how's he going to go fair against the number one seed? But the fact that this went to the hard gives me a little confidence that maybe he might have a chance to to pull it off. Yeah. So uh, that that should be really fun. And the Sizzling 16 is now set. And everybody who made it to this point is receiving a gift card to 23rd Street Brewery. Great spot to watch all the gaming action. You can check out the outdoor patio. Perfect for the heating up weather. You can bring your dog out there. They've got great uh, service, great beer, great food. Try the new Fitzgerald Reuben, any of the great pastas, the pizzas, whatever you want. Check them out in Lawrence at 23rd Street Brewery. You can uh, also get, if you've made it to this point, an RCST Trivia t-shirt from River at Print and Skate. And you get tickets to a Sporting KC2 game. Sporting KC are the team of next pros for the next top team of Sporting KC. And they play right here in Lawrence over at Rock Chalk Park. It's a family-friendly, fun action event. You can go on out to the games in Lawrence and see the next stars, get autographs for your kids. It's uh, certainly a lot of fun. Other prizes to note, because now that we are in the Sizzling 16, winners are going to start moving on to the Grade 8. And if you move to the Grade 8, you get a blue or white number one Kansas basketball mini jersey from mini jerseys. We had a, a KU basketball mini jersey giveaway earlier in the year. They're really cool. Uh, so you're not going to want to miss out on that. You're getting a KU t-shirt thanks to Home Field Apparel. And don't forget to get um, 20% off your first order with code RCST at Home Field Apparel. You get a voucher for a free sandwich and breakfast sandwich at McDonald's. You get $14 car wash pass to Mr. D's Auto Wash and auto entry into 2024 trivia. Then if you make the Phenomenal Four, you get a $50 gift card to Johnny's Tavern, a hat from Johnny's Tavern, an RCST Trivia Phenomenal Four t-shirt and RCST Trivia Phenomenal Four hat from Riverette Prince Skate, a Phenomenal Four foot trophy from Jayhawk Trophy, and a one seed in 2024. Then if you make the title game or win the third place game, 
You get a gift card to 23rd Street Brewery, another one, an engraved water bottle or tumbler from Jayhawk Trophy, and a $25 gift card to McDonald's. And the grand champion, the winner of the whole thing, is getting a big screen TV from 23rd Street Brewery, an overnight stay with a gift card for food and drink at the Oread from Pella Windows and Doors, RCST Trivia Championship Trophy from Jayhawk Trophy, and lifetime entrance into RCST Trivia. The awards do stack on as we go. All right. Well, uh, with Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. Derek Johnson out for the day doing some Baker broadcasting, but he will be back tomorrow. Have no fear. Bit of a, a busy afternoon uh, for KU News, both on the football and basketball fronts. Uh, there was the question about what KU was going to do to remedy the situation on the D-line coming into this upcoming season after losing Lonnie Phelps to, the, to declaring to the NFL draft. He ultimately went undrafted, but he left to go to the draft. And, you know, they got some guys in the spring. They brought in uh, a couple guys on the D-line, and they have some, some players that were promising, but it, it still felt like the primary goal for Kansas this spring in the transfer portal was to try to find somebody to make an impact on the D-line, and today it appears as though they have got their guy. Dylan Brooks, a six foot four, 240-pound, I believe he's a redshirt freshman uh, for Auburn, from Auburn. He was a top 120 recruit in the country, a four-star prospect, uh, 24-7, had him at 118 nationally coming out of high school uh, uh, from Alabama. He went to Auburn and... This is from Charles Power, Power, the national writer for 24-7 Sports. Uh, tall frame with long arms. Tall and big frame with long arms. Has room to fill out considerably once in a college strength program. Quick and explosive off the ball. Shows the ability to transition speed to power and overall offensive lineman at the point of attack. And his comparison, his or his, uh, yeah, his comparison was Bradley Chubb, which, hey, that, that that's pretty good. I think Chubb was drafted, what, fourth overall, fifth overall, I believe? So pretty good comparison there, but as you know, those those generally don't really pan out. But yeah, he's he's a big body, a big frame, not really more, not really very much weight to him though. Like I said, list, he's listed at two thirty five for Auburn. He appeared in five games last season for Auburn. Like I said, I believe he's a redshirt freshman. In the five games he played for Auburn in twenty twenty two, he recorded six total tackles. He had one sack and one fumble recovery. Uh, in those five games, he appeared, in the, he appeared in the final five games of the season. Most notably, uh, he had his one sack came against Western Kentucky, and he had one tackle in the Alabama game, two tackles in the Western Kentucky game, one in the Texas A&M game, one in the Arkansas game for Auburn. Uh, but certainly a guy that has a lot of pedigree, as a high prospect coming out of high school, and seems like he could be a, a real impact player for KU potentially right away. So the one sort of question mark left in the on on paper for KU football after the offseason of losing Lonnie Phelps was going to be that D-line, right? The question was, okay, you lose Lonnie Phelps, what what are you going to do? Who are you going to turn to? Is it going to be a Jeremy Robinson's going to step up? Is it going to be some of your younger guys? Is it going to be a couple of other transfers you brought in uh, over the offseason, a guy like Austin Booker or uh, the guy from Colorado State? You know, there were some real questions about what that was going to be because – Prior to that, prior to Lonnie Phelps declaring for the draft, it was obvious, right? You were you were thinking, okay, Lonnie comes back, boom, you have an instant impact guy on the D-line. And his departure, I think, was a real jolt for uh, that part of that program. Not Maybe not necessarily his decision, but just recognizing that, okay, here was a guy that 
we hoped would be back and was going to be a major impact player, and now he's not. What do we do? And so it, it was it was a clear point of emphasis that KU was looking to acquire somebody else in the transfer portal that could make an impact, and it does appear uh, it does appear as though they've got their guy in Dylan Brooks uh, from Auburn, who, as I said, was a top 120 recruit in the country according to 247 Sports from Roanoke, Alabama, 6'4", 235. Uh, so again, not not necessarily doesn't necessarily have a ton of size in terms of weight, but he certainly has the size in terms of long arms and being able to push off offensive linemen and, and utilize that pass rush. So uh, a very exciting commitment for for KU. And Derek always likes to say, if you're KU and you get a top 750 recruit in the country in football, that's a big commit. Well, this guy was a top 120 recruit coming out of high school uh, before going to Auburn and now coming to Kansas. So Lance Leipold clearly putting in some work in the transfer portal. And we talked about this for KU. They don't have very many scholarship opportunities open. So it was really only going to be potentially the possibility of getting one or two guys. And it seems like this is the one guy that they wanted and they got him, Dylan Brooks uh, from Auburn. So that, that definitely answers some questions about what kind of impact you might get from the, from the pass rush position. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, didn't play much at Auburn and, you know, doesn't have much stats to show for it, but certainly he has the physical tools you would think to become an explosive player and listen, at a place like Kansas, he's going to get that opportunity. There's no question about that. Uh, there's no question that he's going to have an opportunity to shine and really, really perform at a high level. So certainly an exciting commitment for Kansas uh, in terms of both the pedigree of the of the player, right, uh, in terms of the, the fact that he was a four-star guy, a highly recruited player, obviously went to a, a strong SEC school in Auburn at the time. Now, I understand Auburn's been struggling lately, but still that's, a, that's you know one of the premier SEC schools, I would say. And now for him to come to Kansas and have the opportunity to really shine as a pass rusher uh, is very, very exciting for KU football. And I, I think it's also exciting just because, and I, I, th- this is one of the things that continues to impress me about Lance Leipold actually is, Lance Leipold, it is very, he is very clear with his intentions of what he wants to do, and he has done an excellent job of following through on that, of saying, this is what we need to do, here's how we're going to get it, and then it, and then they get it, right? So very, very impressive stuff from Lance Leipold and the entire staff, I'm sure. And obviously I know it wasn't just Lance that was the one recruiting, but uh, yeah, a very impressive get for the staff. And another commitment that came through shortly thereafter this afternoon was from Mikey Pauley, a quarterback transfer from Nebraska. Uh, he's he's a, a commitment from a prefer, for a preferred walk-on, and this was a guy that it was rumored, so he went to Blue Valley Northwest, and it was rumored that he had entered the portal and that he was going to potentially come to Kansas, but uh, nothing really officially happened. And then uh, all of a sudden, he makes his commitment today as a preferred walk-on. And this is a situation where this is a basically a reaction to losing Ethan Vasco for sure. Because now you do, you do sort of have that coverage, at least for this season, of a third guy that could potentially be in the discussion of, of getting some time if, if you need to go that far in your depth chart. Which, listen, normally you'd say, oh, that's not going to happen. Well, it happened last year, right, when you had when, when Vasco did actually have to come into a game against Texas Tech in a game in which you might have had a chance to win, you know, without those injuries. So so this is a guy that's going to come in and probably compete for certainly that third position on the depth chart. But again, this feels like a move that is more looking further into the future, knowing that, listen, Jalen Daniels, if he has a great season this year and Kansas, you know, gets into the national spotlight again, maybe like they did last year when they started 5-0, and 
is it that crazy to think that he might consider testing the draft and and moving on to his professional career? Maybe not, right? Maybe not. I mean, if he's another, if he's a high, if there's more Heisman talk for him the whole season, and Kansas is able to put together, you know, a run at the Big Twelve championship, maybe they don't make the championship, and maybe they win eight, nine games, and Jalen Daniels is putting up elite numbers. Not that crazy, you know. You only have one year left to Jason Bean, so there are some questions. You have Isaiah Marshall coming in, but there are some questions. Uh, for the long-term future of the quarterback position. And obviously that is the pillar, that is the engine that makes everything else go, right? If if, if you have questions at the quarterback position, it, it really trickles down, I think, to an entire team. So uh, this is a, a commitment from a local guy coming back to play at Kansas. And I'm if I'm not mistaken, I believe he was potentially a dual-sport athlete in, in baseball as well at Nebraska. I'm not 100% sure if that'll be the case uh, at Kansas, but he's a preferred walk-on to the football team at least uh, as a quarterback. So... That gives you a little bit more self-assurance on that side of things of, okay, maybe if we do have more injuries, maybe like we did last year, we might feel a little bit better than we did previously with, with Vasco opting to, to depart the program. And again, now you're in a position where maybe this is a situation where Pauly is able to compete a little bit with, with Isaiah Marshall. Obviously, I think best case scenario, you, get Jaylen, you have Jalen Daniels for another year after this year. That gives Isaiah Marshall a whole year to get ready. That gives... Polly potentially another year to, to get into the system and everything. So that would be most ideal, but you know, things don't always shake out how exactly how you want them to, but two pretty exciting commitments for KU football this afternoon. Certainly the Dylan Brooks one is the big one for Kansas. Uh, he figures to be probably an impact player pretty quickly with that type of skill set, with that type of need that Kansas has. He's certainly going to get an opportunity to, to make some plays for KU and then getting uh, Mikey Polly again, just kind of shores up your quarterback room a little bit more after the departure of Ethan Vasco. So really, really great stuff all around for KU football. And again, with that scholarship limit, they are really close to that limit. They might be right at it right now. I don't think KU will be making any more uh, significant moves this offseason. So I think they are, they're probably pretty much set now. Really, that, that final question mark, that final piece of the puzzle, so to speak, was really, okay, can we go out and acquire uh, somebody that can give us some impact on the D-line? And they did that. Boom, check mark. You lost Ethan Vasco. Can we get maybe somebody that we don't expect to have to play but could maybe give us a little bit, just a, some extra insurance in the quarterback room? Boom, you got that, check mark. So now it's just on to the offseason and getting set for hopefully looking to build upon your bowl season of last year and 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 uh, going from there, right, if you're KU football. All right, also some more KU basketball news from this afternoon was Zuby Ejiofor making it known where he is going to play basketball Next season, he committed to St. John's earlier this afternoon. So Ejiofor going back to St. John's. Derek and I had had this discussion off-air about the possibility of Zuby Ejiofor maybe coming back to Kansas. Could KU possibly convince him to come back with Ernest Uday in the transfer portal? Obviously, that's not going to happen now with Zuby Ejiofor committing to St. John's. And, you know, kind of the discussion we had about that was, listen, if you're Zuby Ejiofor, before Hunter Dickinson committed to KU, so go back to before, go back to pre-Hunter Dickinson, pre-Hunter Dickinson, committing to KU. Zuby Ejiofor was going to be the backup center. He was going to be behind Ernest Ude. No question about that, right? There might have been some more playing time for him, maybe potentially behind Ernest Ude, but still the backup, right? Hunter Dickinson commits. Zuby Ejiofor now relegated to the to the third center. And he says, okay, you know what? I, I want to go find an opportunity where I can get some more time. And he enters the transfer portal. Then Ernest Ude enters the transfer portal. I think the issue with trying to convince Zuby Ejiofor to come back to Kansas would have been, okay, 
the status quo for Zubiaja for prior to Hunter Dickinson was he was going to get, what, maybe 10, 12 minutes a game behind Ernest Uday. You bring in Hunter Dickinson, Hunter Dickinson is going to be playing more minutes per game than Ernest Uday would have been starting for KU. I think that's, I think that's definitely a fact. So you, were, you would have to convince Subiaja for to come back to the status quo and probably accept even less minutes behind Hunter Dickinson than what he would have gotten just being behind Ernest Uday if that ended up if KU you know hadn't gotten Hunter Dickinson or Hunter Dickinson didn't exist, right? So that's why I don't think it was ever really that viable that Zubiaja four would come back to Kansas just because you know he, again you'd have to convince him to come back to a status quo situation that would be probably even worse than what it was before he left in the first place, right? And I also was I also wondered if trying to convince a player to come back, well, it's not completely uncommon in today's game. It is still pretty rare. But trying to convince a player to come back, is it more of an advantage or a disadvantage if you're Kansas trying to convince Zuby Edgefor to come back? Because you've got, you know, the shiny new lust of maybe some other schools, whereas he already knows what's what's up at Kansas. He already knows the situation at Kansas. So I don't know. But either way, Zuby Edgefor going to St. John's to play under Rick Patino and Rick Patino has loaded up an interesting squad at St. John's, and so I, I think Zuby Edgefor is going to have a chance to be part of the rotation there and, and be effective. So I'll continue the, the same thing that I've said with all the all of the KU transfers is, you know, wish them the best. It doesn't always work out at your first stop or wherever or your second stop. Sometimes you need to change the scenery. Sometimes you need to get whatever you know whatever you might need. And so I hope I hope the best for Zuby Edgefor. Uh, I look forward to seeing what he can do at St. John's, and I think that's uh, could potentially be a good fit for him. So. And also, we didn't get a chance to really talk too much about the Ernest Uday transfer. So with Ernest Uday gone now, you're to a situation where you don't have a backup center. You have Hunter Dickinson, and then I guess K.J. Adams is your backup center, but also he's a starting four right now, so that that obviously is not going to work. So there's still some, there is still some work to be done potentially for Kansas in the portal. There's some different guys. In terms of center options, you don't have very many uh, solid center options. And again... Any center you go after at this stage, if you're if you're KU, you're going to be asking them to be a backup. And how many guys are in the transfer portal that are looking for more playing time, or how many guys are in the transfer portal that want to go start somewhere? If you come to Kansas, that's that's not going to be the case unless you can somehow make it work as a four next to Hunter Dickinson, which again that that seems unlikely. But I know one possibility, I guess potentially that we might get into later this week on the show is Grant Nelson from North Dakota State is still out there. Do you bring him in possibly and play two bigs, play two seven-footers next to each other, have a little Twin Towers action? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not, but that could be a possibility. But but certainly for Kansas now, you are left in a position where you do need probably to find at least one body, certainly, uh, potentially at the center position or at the wing position. Those are definitely the two most glaring needs uh, for KU at this stage. And we talked about it in the open, which you can check out on the best of RCST podcast. Uh, uh, basically, you know, Kansas right now with their roster is a top five, top six roster. If they got Mackenzie and Baco, they would have felt a lot better. They missed on him. So now you're in a situation where you still feel like talent wise, you have a, a, a top tier roster, but there's some questions about depth. There's some questions about who's going to play where, right? You still have the KJ Adams conundrum a little bit. And now with no McKenzie and Baco, you look at the shooting and it's Nick Timberlake and then who? Dewan Harris on low volume, Hunter Dickinson on low volume. Is that going to be enough plus Timberlake? I don't know. So there are still some questions about KU and and the offseason is certainly not done. 
I think it's interesting. I think for a lot of teams, the offseason is probably pretty much wrapped up, basically. You know, you might have a guy that's in the transfer portal or something like that that you still might be trying to go after if you're some teams. But for Kansas, it feels like they still have quite a bit left that they could do, potentially, uh, in the portal to, to add some more players. So it's it's an interesting situation for Kansas, to say the least. Obviously, the McKenzie and Baco decision makes things a bit more complicated for Kansas. For a variety of reasons. Number one, just because of the the sheer confidence that it seemed like Kansas had in Mackenzie and Baco picking KU. That's the biggest one to me. Is they there was a lot, a lot of confidence. There was a lot of buzz around it. There was a lot of discussion of feeling really, really good about their position. And then it seems like maybe at the last minute, potentially, literally, uh, Indiana was able to make a push and and, and overtake Kansas to to land in Baco, but. So that's why it makes it kind of a, a bit of a maybe a, a tougher pill to swallow, so to speak, uh, in some aspects. But the right situation is, like I said, Kansas still has a, a very, very talented roster. This is still a successful offseason because you got Hunter Dickinson. You still feel pretty good about where you're at. If you can go out and get maybe one more wing guy potentially as, uh, as to fill out your wing position and then maybe a backup uh, center option, that's pretty much, I would say, best case scenario. In terms of their options, you look at the NBA draft, Kevin McCuller potentially. Uh, again, I there was some smoke about that a while back, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see that being very likely. Uh, I don't want to rule it out entirely, but it just it doesn't seem like it's 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 very very likely. Uh, and then you've got some guys like Arthur Kaluma from Creighton, Julian Phillips from Tennessee. There are a couple wing options out there, but none of them are as good three point shooters as Mackenzie and Baco, at least on paper, uh, and. You get maybe you might get a more experienced player, but you you maybe don't get as high of a ceiling as you might have gotten with Mbako. But listen, you know KU has swung and missed on on a couple guys in this in this transfer portal ranking in this transfer portal season. But uh, like we mentioned in the open, I think if you asked Bill Self right now if this is if this was basically what he wanted, I think he would probably say yes, right? I mean, it was very very obvious from all of his statements after the season that this was this was his goal. He said he wanted to hit the transfer portal hard. He said he wanted to go out and find some impact guys. He's he's done that, right? He now he's missed on some guys too. Harrison Ingram, Jalen Tyson, and Mackenzie Mbako. Now whether that was KU missing on him or whether that was just, you know, ultimately when you look at like a guy like Jalen Tyson, maybe he was just so enticed by the California situation with uh the you know the, the relationships and stuff. But yeah, they missed on some guys, but they also hit on the big ones. Hunter Dickinson, Nick Timberlake, who has arguably who is arguably the the number one shooter that was in the transfer portal available to Kansas, right? So you know it's it's a give and take. It's a give and take. You're not you're not always going to get every single guy that you go after. And I think, like I said, I think if if you gave Bill Self some true serum right now and asked him, "Is this what you wanted?" I think he would say yes. Uh, and now whether you think that's a positive or a negative of basically clearing out the roster and flipping it over, I'll leave that up to you to decide. But I think this is pretty much exactly how the offseason. I think this is pretty much exactly how Bill Self probably wanted the offseason to play out. Go out, get some impact players. Yeah, you're going to lose some guys in the process. And there's some guys they didn't expect to lose. I don't think they expected to lose either Zuby or Ernest. But that's just how things go. That's just how things go. All right, so uh, just a quick recap. KU football gets Dylan Brooks, an outside pass rusher from Auburn. They also get Mikey Pauley, uh, a preferred walk-on quarterback to kind of sure up that. And then the big news also from this afternoon, Zuby Edgefor transferring to St. John's, committing to St. John's after entering the portal. 
right, we're going to take a short time out here on Rock Talk Sports Talk. We'll have a little bit of talk about uh, what happened to Joel Embiid uh, in the NBA playoffs and kind of a little bit of chat on that. And then we'll get to our RCST replay with David Lesky in case you missed that earlier in the show. But for now, we'll take a short time out. This is Rock Talk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN in Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.